India is not for the faint at heart. I stepped out of my comfort zone. I learned how much we really need to survive. And we Americans live excessively. And I know we replace love with things. India is also a place of coexisting, humans and animals. Even with the obvious caste systems, the homeless share their meals with stray animals. India is a one-of-a-kind country. I have never been so emotional. One minute I'm at peace, the next I'm ready to punch someone in the face. There were times when I was physically and emotionally spent and I just wish I had someone. The only other time I felt some of those emotions was during labor and childbirth, the moment realizing it's only you who can get you through. It's a very testing country at times and like no other place I have ever experienced before. It's a place that can be beautiful, ugly, smelly, fragrant, and intense and calm all at the same time. Sakina Williams spent years working in the publishing industry as a writer and editor. The shift for her occurred two years ago when she decided to start her own yoga practice, BK Buddha. She has been a yoga practitioner for over 20 years and currently teaches yoga theory and application at Seton Hall University. Hi, I'm your host, Coretta Ryan, and this is New York to Paradise, Creating Your Own Success. Sakina Williams talks about being unhappy when she worked in the publishing industry, her transition from being an employee to a business owner, and the stigma of yoga in our communities. She expresses how her six-week trip to India to study with a yoga guru left a lasting impact and how she plans to use that experience to build her practice. I am a writer and an editor. I was in the publishing industry, first starting off in magazines and then moving over to books because I got married and I had a child. The fast pace of working in magazines was a little much. So I took a step down and moved over to books. The company I was at, I was there for six years before I was laid off. And that was two years ago. And it was a blessing in disguise because I was miserable there. I was miserable in the publishing industry. I don't think that industry is for women and people of color. A lot of publishing houses have a specific genre that they push for and anything outside of that is, uh, it's not what they're looking for. It's not what they want. So it's just struggling in that industry. You can get to a certain level. So I moved from the editorial side to the marketing side, thinking that would open up more opportunities, but it definitely gave me an opportunity to meet more people and just start to think about what I want to do in the long term. I say if I ever had the opportunity to leave the publishing world, I would want to start some type of wellness business. And something that I always wanted to do, very into wellness and writing about wellness. And I started going to yoga classes. I never saw anybody that looked like me. Just how is it that this practice comes from the East and I see no one, there were no Indians in any of my classes. There are no people of color in any of my classes. We, meaning Westerners, tend to take things from other cultures and make it what we want it to be. I'm a yoga teacher a yoga practitioner for 20 years. My student is, are people who don't go into yoga studios. So they are 
people of color. They are older adult athletes, young kids, teenagers, people who can benefit from a yoga lifestyle. But because of financial reasons or because they have, we have this Western stigma that the a yoga pra- practitioner or yoga teacher should be a skinny white girl from California. And that's not who, who it is. So I think moving from publishing, I still do some freelance work, writing and editing, because we'll still have to get paid. And moving into trying to build my business, BK Buddha, I think the transition wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Because yoga is my life, yoga is my passion, starting a yoga business. I know that you traveled recently to India to get certified. So talk more about, I guess, share that experience. What was that like? What are the takeaways that you came back with and how you're using those now to evolve your business? Okay. So, well, I actually got my first certification here in New York two years ago. So after, you know, I was laid off trying to figure it out. I was going through a divorce and just like, what am, what are you doing with yourself? How can you make money and help people at the same time. And starting a business isn't easy. There, of course, there's startup fees and just, you know, the marketing costs and just everything into promoting a business. One day I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm going to apply for my 200-hour certification. I researched the best schools. Um, The school that I went to was pretty expensive. So I just bit the bullet and got accepted and did it. And it was really hard. It was really hard. So that was almost three years ago where I got my 200 hour certification. And my mentor told all of us that you, at some point in your yoga life, you need to go to India. You know, whether it's for another certification or just to learn history, philosophy, you will become a different person after your visit. It changes you. One night I was just researching different schools in India and one of my friends sent me a picture of someone doing a a yoga pose and was like, you know, can you do this? So I'm looking at this photo and I'm like, wow, you know, this must be a really long-term practitioner, someone that really knows. So I started researching this photo to see who this person was and it was a a big master in Rishikesh yoga, Rishikesh India. Rishikesh is the yoga capital of the world. And um, if you're serious, that's at some point in your life, that's where you need to go. Um, So in finding out who this yoga guru was, I did some research on him and found that he had a school and it was several schools, but one in Rishikesh, um, one in Nepal. He's trying to bring one to the West and I applied. So they have, um, they accept 20 students to 20 and I applied and I got accepted and then it was figuring out when. So initially I was supposed to go in February and it's February, 2017. And then of course life happens. You know, my mother was really sick. She had to have a major surgery. So I had to decide at that moment, do I buy the ticket and still go and just, you know, life's going to happen anyway, or do I put it off and, you know, figure it out? I get The following day, I get a message from um, the school saying, you know, we're really sorry that we um, have to push the course back to March now. So that was a blessing in disguise. I was able to be here for my mother's surgery and her recovery and things like that. So after I finally bought my ticket, it was, it became real. (laughs) So it was like no backing out. And I went with no expectation, didn't know what it was going to be like. People think of India, you hear about Delhi being like smelly, open sewers, or you think about like the beautiful architecture of the Taj Mahal, but it was nothing like any of that. 
While her experience overall in India was good, she felt alone being in unfamiliar surroundings and was reminded that she had to be strong. India is, I guess, kind of like a assault on all your senses. You smell everything, and I have a heightened sense of smell anyway, but it's like you're looking through, you're look, watching like a 3D movie. Everything is so colorful, it's so beautiful, it's so ugly, it's just like so much. The first night I arrived, I flew into Delhi, and then from Delhi I took a charter flight to Dordan. Dordan is about 45 minutes an hour from Rishikesh. So on the plane, on the small plane, there were a few like young Westerners, and I hear two girls talking, and one of the girls was saying how she was from Connecticut, and I was like, oh, wow. So we started chatting, and it turns out that she was coming to the same school. But anyway, our transportation was the same, so we're taking, we're driving in the the taxi. We get to a roadblock and all the lights go out. No one speaks English except for us. There's barely any signal and we see the police. So the police are like checking in cars and we're like, what's going on? It's like really quiet and dark, really dark. We, you know, it was maybe 9 p.m. and she got a signal. So she called the school and she gave the phone to the driver. It was an elephant crossing the road. <laughs> it was so dark, we couldn't see it, but you know, we're panicking thinking it's something. And because, you know, there are a lot of wild elephants and in that area, there aren't as many. So they're, you know, you have to, they have the right of way, <laughs> basically. And if they are alerted by loud noises or lights, then, you know, they can trample you. <laughs> yeah. That was about maybe 30, 35 minutes. The elephants passed and we went on to school. And like I said, it was at night, so I couldn't see anything. And we were in the mountains and it was a little cold. It was their winter, so it's maybe 60 degrees. So that night, my room wasn't ready. The, those of us that were in the 300 hour, we were staying in more of a, like a hotel style, not in the actual school. So that was the first thing from the beginning. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I guess it's comparable to like a two or three star hotel, like a Motel 6 type thing. So it's just like, what is this? So the first night my room was I didn't have a window the sheets were dirty it was just but I was so tired from all those hours of almost a whole day of 20 hours of traveling I just said you know we'll figure it out in the morning so I like passed out I wake up the next morning I get a, a better room and start meeting everybody At that point I was like I need to just I'm here for school all the luxuries of home I know that I have to just you know, put that aside it's the most alone I've ever felt in my life the only other time I felt that alone was during during childbirth because everything was really hard. Like your body, your I was sick. You're not, you know, with anyone that you know, you know, away from my daughter, away from my mother. And just, at, you know, it was one point and was like, I'm the only person that has to get me to the next level. I, there's nobody else. And, you know, there was a moment that I was like, what am I doing? She describes her first moments in India. So it was winter when I was there and winter meaning 60 degrees in the night, it dropped down to maybe 40 because we were in the mountain and it was windy. There was a storm one night and my window broke and it was so cold at night. I waited one day, two days. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna fix this window myself because it's whenever they can do it. So I went, I got some cardboard, I got the tape and just, you know, did the, you know, and then it was so cold that they actually bought blankets for us. We all bought our own blankets too. Like we went out and bought you know, because they have the nicest um, pashminas there, you know, that you can buy. Um, so we bought blankets. They gave us blankets. 
And then I think maybe the second or third week, uh, the teacher comes in. He's like, oh, tomorrow's summer. And we're like, okay, tomorrow's summer. And literally it was summer. It was like 95 degrees the next day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they have the three seasons there. Hot, cold, rainy. <laughs> her yoga experience at the school tested her resilience. You realize at whatever moment that either this is for me or why am I doing this? We started off with 20. We graduated with 15. There were people who did drop out. And I think it was harder for some of the people who were in the 200 hour. So what happened was they had a 200 hour course that started in February. They had a lot of people sign up and they offered those people to come into the 300 hour after it was done. And a lot of those people never practiced yoga before, was new to yoga. They thought they were coming to a retreat. So if yoga isn't your passion, if you aren't a regular practitioner, if you have another job, if you have a family, being somewhere for two months is hard. I was there for six weeks and I remember at two points, one, I was sick. I got really sick. I was like, I need to go home. <laughs> and then I, there was a couple, American couple from Arizona that was in the program. They basically helped me, got me food and water and medicine. I went to the doctor and everything. So, you know, Thank God for them. Still to this day, very blessed. To, and they were, they lived next, their room was next door to mine too. Overall, the, the experience, I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. I am happy that I went. I'm happy that uh, I have a 10-year visa so I can go back at any point. And I, I do know what to expect this time. And of course, my next trip will have a different purpose. Southern India has a large population of people of color. However, in Northern India, that is not the case. And while there, she was questioned about racism, America, being a woman, being a black person, and about life in the Western world. <laughs> Sakina played the game, count the black people. I guess something else that really made me hyper aware of me being an American, being a black American, being a woman, being a black yogi, um, I just felt like I was representing America. Like everybody wanted to talk about our president. They wanted to talk about our country. You know, they wanted to talk about black people. They wanted to know about, uh, you know, what racism. They wanted to know about these police shootings. And it's just how we're portrayed in other areas of the world is, you know, it was a lot because there were so many questions. And I just remember maybe like the third or fourth day, I, you know, before one of our classes started, I was like, hey, you know, I'm here for this. I know that you are really interested and probably want to know real world perspective, but I can't think about that right now. And, you know, when school is over, I'm here for another 10 days. I'm happy to have a coffee and talk about it or whatever. Um, but it was just, I felt like it was like another extra thing for me to have to take on. Um, and then all, you know, I didn't think it was fair either, you know, that I was like the only one. It was so many questions and a lot of it, some of it was out of ignorance. And then some of it was just really wanting to know because it was different, you know, um, you know, and they only know what they read or what they see or what the fake news shows, <laughs> um, or magazines. Uh, there was a magazine that was um, maybe Marie Claire magazine that was years old. 
And it probably came from some Westerner that brought it there and they end up leaving it there. Because what happens is um, you leave stuff, you know, like I didn't bring my yoga mat back home because I have a billion yoga mats here and somebody else could use it. And I left a lot of things there too. So I see how, you know, that magazine from years ago is still there and they're looking at it and seeing, you know, that's how they learn about our culture, you know, which also makes me hyper aware, hyper aware of media, you know, having worked in publishing, worked for magazines, what we see, you know, and I see how like our young people think, you know, what the perfect body type is or what the, you know, this, you know, I have a baby, this celebrity has a baby today and then, you know, she's back to a size two tomorrow. So I totally understand the fascination with um, Americans. <laughs> When I say racism, it's not just, it's not Indians. I did not experience racism from Indians. It was from other Westerners and Europeans, specifically people from London. And I had an incident with a woman from Ireland. I was the only black person in the town for, I don't know, the first two weeks, I didn't see another black person at all. And it was kind of like, I don't know, I guess I was like a celebrity. I would have people coming up wanting to take pictures with me, asking me, are you like Beyonce? Are you like Obama? I'm like, a singer or the president? Like, oh, black, okay. <laughs> so yeah, that was very weird being, you know, I've been the only black you know person in my office and my school, but I know I'm coming home to be with black people. Or even when you travel to other countries, there are, you know, Africans are everywhere. So you see Africans everywhere you go. And there is a huge African population in Southern India, but I was in the North and there was, and then that town that was, I was the only one. The first encounter with another black person was a woman in the store. So we had like our little, like, I guess a bodega type store where we could get our toiletries and snacks and things like that. And I'm in there and I see this woman, she comes, she's dressed in all white. Um, certain schools that they have there, they're a uniform. So this, she, she's dressed in all white. She's a beautiful woman, older in her 60s. She comes up to me and she's just like, can I hug you? And I'm like, sure, I hug her. And she has a British accent. And I'm like, oh, you know, you're from England. She's like, yeah, I'm here on a retreat with some of my former coworkers. It's like all older women and we, we came here for this retreat or whatever. And it's kind of a culture shock. She's like, there are a lot of Indians in England. She's like, so I see them all the time. That's, you know, not an issue. There's black people everywhere. But she's like, I had no idea. So that was uh, very interesting also. The week before school ended, or the, maybe it was the last week of school, I'm walking and uh, I see this woman running. I couldn't tell what she was, but she was like running uh, like across the field. And as she got closer, I was like, that's a black lady. <laughs> so she comes up to me, she has a translator and she just starts talking and I don't get any word in. I'm just like looking at her in shock because again, you know, two more weeks had passed before I had seen another black person. And she's just talking, talking, talking. And then she goes, wait a minute, do you speak English? And I'm like, yeah, I speak English. And I was like, you're from New York, aren't you? And she's like, yes, I'm from Harlem. I was like, how'd I know that? So she's like, well, where are the sisters? Where are the black people? I'm like, right here, me and you. And she's like, she was going to be there for six weeks on some type of mission. And uh, she was just like, I, she didn't expect that. And she, I was like, what did you think? She goes, I didn't think I would be like in Harlem, but I just, I don't know what I, what I, uh, what I thought. But um, that was uh, another interesting. And uh, another time I saw an African man at a restaurant 
and he was with, I guess, his classmates or whomever. And I was coming out of the bathroom and he was waiting to go into the bathroom and he looked at me and he was like, and he said something. And I was like, oh, I was like, I'm not African. And he was like, oh. And he was like, I thought there were a lot of Africans in India. And I was like, there are, a lot of them are in South India. And he's like, I haven't seen any African. And I was like, I kind of feel the same way. You know, I haven't seen any black American. And, um, you know, we had just had like a little laugh or whatever, but it was just interesting that you see, you know. And the other thing was I cut my hair off all off before I left. And a lot of people were like, do you have cancer? Do you have cancer? And I was like, no, I have eyebrows, so I don't have cancer. <laughs> And that was just, I guess, I don't know, a stereotype. And I was talking about that with some people and they were saying that, you know, they do shave their heads there in India also too for, you know, different rit different rituals. But I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> Her journey as a business owner made her realize the support she has from her own community. I guess I could say setting these goals for myself and then actually achieving them. You know, even if they are small things, like designing my business card was a big deal because I'm not that computer literate and, um, you know, I could do some Photoshop stuff or whatever, but as, and also asking people, because there was a time when I did have the means to provide for friends and family and things. And I'm people's person. They come to me for things. So I guess, you know, asking people for help. And in the case of the business card, I have very talented friends. And the offers, like, I'll do your business card for you, you know. And I'm just, like, blown away by the generosity of people. So I guess one of the biggest things is accepting help and knowing that my people have my best interests. Share a personal challenge that you had to overcome or that you're currently working on overcoming. Learning to say no. I know that I don't have to be all things to all people and putting myself ahead of everything else. You know, it's cliche, but you can't pour from an empty cup. If you're suffering, if you're sick, you can't provide, you can't, you know, and being a mother, that's innate. But being a business person and just understanding that you're the boss and the employee, so you have to make sure it's running on all levels. So just understanding that it is okay to say no and to put me ahead of whatever else there is. Coco says the shift, employee to business owner. The fear of starting a business can be nerve wracking. But once you take the steps and are able to help others, you learn quickly. That is what fulfills you the most. Sakina departed from the publishing world and transformed her 20 plus year yogi experience into creating her own yoga practice. Many of us sacrifice for security, even when being an employee may not be what we need or want. However, when you do make that shift, towards being a business owner, you have to be prepared to expect the unexpected. Regardless of the obstacles and risks, learning something new every day becomes a thrill. That gets you closer to realizing your dreams. So embrace your journey no matter how or when you start. So my favorite quote 
of all time is no, no mud, no lotus. Without experiencing suffering, without being dragged down by the mud, being hitting rock bottom, you know, there's no way to rise. And you can't become your best self unless you overcome any obstacles, any adversities or anything like that. And I think my life, especially in the past few years, you know, there's been so much trauma. There's been just living, learning how to relive and be the best me. And how do I do that when every day there's something else coming at me? So no mud, no lotus. You can follow her on Instagram at BKBuddha or at The Real Sakina and contact her via email, Sakina at BKBuddha.com for more information. Thank you for listening. This series is brought to you by CRPRLLC.com. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, and like New York to Paradise on CRPRLLC.com. You can also listen to the show on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Follow the hashtag New York to Paradise across social media. If you are or know of an entrepreneur in your community who would be a great addition to the show or interested in collaborating with the show, drop me a line at info at crprllc.com. 